You're listening to the Real Estate Radio Hour, the show that brings you unfiltered stories and insight from the Twin Cities real estate world with your hosts, Chris Rooney, broker at REMAX Preferred, and Andy Presky, leader of the Preferred Home Team at REMAX Advantage Plus. <laughs> oh, it is on. Okay, good. <laughs> What's up, brothers? Too much. What do you think of this, Andy? I I literally was peeing my pants laughing. That was uh, that was awesome. Thank you. I love to giggle, and that that makes me giggle. Hey, let's put that up again and get the backstory to that picture. Well, I just escaped from uh, Mexican prison, and uh, I was super excited. No, we did a uh, a fiesta, um, a gratitude party for our team at our house, and we had. Um, uh, quite a few people come over and we had the event was uh, catered by my, my good buddy, Mario. And, uh, the, the I guys, was, I was there. You, you were there. Yeah. He, this Mario is right from Mexico city, learned how to cook all the sauces, the, the techniques from his grandma. And we were lucky enough to get this guy to come over and actually like, almost like make the order fresh cook empanadas. And, uh, what else did he make? That empanada is the one they made right on site. Oh, Fairway Mortgage also helped us with that. Randy yeah. Cullen yeah. Um, was a big part of putting that all together. So good guy. Mexican food is good. I miss it. Very spicy. Good food. It, it's funny how he said the same thing. And he goes, yeah, he goes, all my sauces are, are Minnesota style, which, which, you know, like he's used to people saying salt is spicy, you know. Little, little known fact, Andy knows his food. Not only can he, he cook, he can find good ones like that um, med box grill yeah. that you had for that graduation. Oh, my gosh. Now, I they do food trucks, you know, and you get a calendar, and I go try to track down that freaking cart everywhere it is. It's so good. They, uh, I believe they, they just opened up a live uh, a, a brick-and-mortar location in Chanhassen. Yep. Um, which is kind of the, the, I don't, I don't cut through town too much, but if I ever do, I know I'm going to stop in there and say hi to the guys. They, uh, that was coming right out of COVID when we did that. That was my daughter's graduation party. And, uh, those guys, the Medbox uh, grill, the guy is the president of the food truck association. And so he was out there promoting like, Hey, everybody, let's, you know, safely get back into doing events. So we booked them not knowing that they were like these, you know, level five out of five chefs, you know. We we tried getting them and we couldn't. Oh. I was copying you. I don't know if it's copying as much as it's just, you know, doing the right thing, man. They have good food. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm in uh, Marseille, France, and I have a couple couple video for you guys. Bonjour. Largest urinal. Um, it's awesome. It's <laughs> this next one, uh, the last one, I love this mosaic tile. This is the Byzantine tile. I want to hear you guys' thoughts on this, like doing it in a home. Pretty crazy, man. 
it'd be, I mean, the only homes you'd see that in are $10 million ones. The, I can't even believe the expense. Those are all little individual tiles within there. Well, what's funnier than that, Chris, is try to explain to your tile guy what you want and hand him a couple boxes of tile. Uh, exactly. Hey, do this video for me. <laughs> you know, you can see that, though, in, like, maybe a foyer. Oh, you know, for sure. A piece of it. Or um, a lot of people do in their laundry rooms now. They do kind of a little little fun thing or a, a mudroom-type laundry area. We, we went crazy in our mudroom and did the uh, pinwheel where all the tiles go kind of in a, in a circle. Um, or a, like a, like a old, like a Dutch windmill kind of. And it, uh, so they're offset just a little bit and it, it turned out really nice. Huh, good. A little parade of homes recap. It looks like here, Andrew, how was your first weekend? Ah, uh, boy, I tell you, man, we, uh, we actually were very pleased. Um, almost back to normal traffic levels on all of our models. Um, I really liked seeing, you know, God bless America. Some people coming in with masks, some people coming in without masks, um, hundred percent at the people's comfort level, but everybody was having a good time. Everybody was, and, and I'm, I'm not kidding you. I, the questions being asked this year, I felt were buyer questions. They, these aren't people that are looky lose. These are people that have been pent up in their houses. They know exactly what they want. Now they're out checking it out, making sure that what they're dreaming of, they can, they can afford comfortably. And I'll tell you what, though, I, I am very optimistic about the orders that we're going to get this fall. Okay, so you you're saying back to normal levels. So what does that mean? Um, you know, having a couple people at a time in one model, um, in the old days used to be very normal. You know, two to five couples at a time, and people asking lots of questions and what lots are available and what kind of windows are these? What kind of floor is this? Um, how much does it cost to do a walk-in tile shower? And um, it, it those questions were being asked again. But the volume of people is what I was kind of referencing because well, how many? Go ahead. How many people in that? Well, six we were seeing, you know, like 30, 40 couples a model. And then some of them, you know, up farther north, we were only seeing about, you know, a dozen couples um, per day. But, you know, that's a that's a lot of people. Oh, see, now we, we've always been, um, and I think it's it more because, I mean, this is a dream home. And I think it was a little less. And I think we had um, 80, I mean, we had 100 and, 180 in the two days. And when we had the dream home before, yeah, it was, it was, it used to be a lot more, but I think a lot of people um, look at those more as, Hey, we're going to get some cool ideas and we can't really afford it. Uh, versus yours. I think you're getting more detailed people looking in that price point. Well, right. You know, I think that that, and you know, you do get the people that saying, Hey, instead of going to a movie this afternoon, let's go look at the dream homes. You know, I mean, you do get that for sure. Um, but I'll tell you what, there every house you see nowadays, um, I mean, the lowest price house in the Prado Homes is, um, you know, $299. So it's not like the houses are true entry level anymore. They're move up buyers or executive level. So I think that any house you go to is going to give you inspiration for new products, innovative products, energy efficiencies, um, or just good color combinations. What's being allowed again? Because, you know, like the cabinets behind you where you've got them painted a darker color, for a while, that was a no-no, and now that's like the thing, right? We do that. We'll do an island that's accented, or like an office will accent, um, and that that's becoming. And then the people are like, "You got to be kidding me, blue!" And I'm like, "Blue is a very popular color for us right now. Grays, the the gun the gunmetal grays, and the um, they want them thinned out the stain just a little bit, 
so you can see the wood through the grays and they look fantastic and i you know i don't know it's kind of fun being around people when they're that excited about building a new house yeah what price points are you all in andy um i'm in the um I, i've got one that's at 399 um and then uh that was i know 399 it's a single level like 1400 square foot rambler i always call it the mom and pop want to downsize but they don't want to give up their yard and so this actually still can garden you have your own individual lot but they're smaller um so it's not a lot to maintain or manage but you know then again like we were always saying hey there's always that guy that'll drive down the street and say hey 25 bucks a week 30 50 bucks a week whatever it is i'll mow your grass for you and a lot of times those are lower priced than having an association because you're only paying that five months out of the year and then snow removal is probably a thousand bucks for the winter so you can live maintenance free and still have a garden and do whatever you want to do have a dog um and not have the restriction so that product is is really taking off and i've got 70 lots up in the uh, forest lake market which is just craving new builds there's just nothing up there and uh and then my highest one um is in blaine i've got one at 740 um and that's a about a just about 4,000 square feet finished um two-story with the big uh great room five bedroom five bath um or, or the the uh, not great room i mean the um sport court yeah. indoor gym i was really happy uh with ours that ours so ours was uh for built for a customer and then we're using it for the parade and uh they they put a pool in and so oh, nice. to, be able to have a pool in a model home is so cool because sometimes you you always talk about kind of extending the outside into the inside to kind of bring it all together and to be able to actually show it to people you know yeah. is uh is it's pretty exciting because you just you just don't ever get to do that and it's like well i'll take you to this other person's house that did it so it's, it's kind of nice to have can that. i ask you a quick question yeah are you guys doing anything for staging around the pool to grab attention or is it are you just letting the pool kind of grab its own attention we kind of just let it go uh, on its own, um, okay. mainly because it's really hard to get any of that furniture. Uh, oh yeah, for the but it's but it, it makes it open and big, and, that, and it's all trees around it, so it's on acreage. Oh, so cool. it, it kind of. Uh, well, I'm sure. I'm sure when somebody's investing multi millions of dollars, I mean, they're going to do it right. So I mean, I'm sure it is a fantasy. That's nice. Sweet. Nice, Andy. Credit pretty swell. Oh boy, what are we doing here? Well, we're approaching the fall market. What all changes you guys do differently? How is the marketing, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, I'm sorry, can you translate in the French? <laughs> Bonjour, Marseille, Marseille. Oui, that's all I know. Oui. This is like this voice oui, in the oui. background. We don't even get a face with it anymore, you know? No, well, he doesn't. He doesn't want to outshine us. You know what I mean? Being the good-looking young guy in France, nice. um, and we're the uh, two old guys in our office. I'm the old guy. You're the the other guy. The old guy. Someone they did say that one group said that. Uh, what is that? What's that other guy doing? Because they know me, obviously. And so I said, "Hey, we do a, we do a podcast still." And they said, "Okay, that's what we're going to listen to on our drive down to Iowa." So, oh, fun. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting how podcasts like. My, my uh, son's generation, that's all they listen to. They don't even know what live radio is. Yeah. Um, so we cater to that crowd, but then yet the people that like to listen to us, they don't know what podcasts are. No. So. All right. Well, yeah, I, say, but I mean, a lot of them just choose not to participate. So I, I deal a lot in the uh, luxury and uh, lifestyle uh, division 
of uh, homes and stuff. And so the fall market to me is always exciting because uh, it usually gets to be uh, it's, a, it's a real good market for that that price point, because what happens is that so many people are busy, you know, all summer long and they're looking at stuff and oh, it's just not quite right. And they're kind of moving and say, ah, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe. Then all of a sudden, wham, you get uh, it's reality hits and it's like I'm going to miss another summer and in Minnesota. You know, you you don't get a lot of time to be able to enjoy that. So they start really looking heavy in the summer. After all the summer gigs are over, or in the fall, all the summer gigs are over, and now they're looking for that place, and then they're going to grab it because they don't want to lose it. So I have a lot of luck with uh, luxury lifestyle, lakeshore-type uh, properties in the fall. Well, you know, we've always talked about that, too. We um uh, you know, people getting ready for that spring market, you know, and, and getting a chance to see, you know, what I always say about anybody uh, that's going to live near water, this is the absolute best time to look at it because it's the worst time of the year for the ponds, the lakes. They're, they're usually, it's, you know, we went through a drought this year, so the water's down. You get to see the ugly side of, of what you're going to live next to. And so you can make a decision based on that. So, you know, if you go out there and you're like, oh my gosh, the water's way down, there's weeds everywhere. Well, this is its worst, you know, um, look. And then it, it probably only get better from there. So you look at other years where there's pictures when the um, maybe aero photography is a good one. You know, DNR is a great web uh, resource too. go there and check that stuff out. Get the, the lake clarity, the fish counts, the all that stuff's available on the DNR website, which I'm sure a lot of people know that. But um, even now today, their their reports and their technology keep advancing and, and uh, it's pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's also an interesting time when you come to fall because um, you're you pin yourself into from a marketing perspective you usually pin yourself into a certain time of year where people don't even have to look at the days on market they can look at the photos and be able to determine that and so what I really like to do is I like to get I if I can I love to get photos from the summer I love having those but then you got to be able to use those fall ones. But if your listing um, kind of exceeds the fall, you know, or um, you, you let's just say it goes from fall into winter and everything drops. Now, sometimes you have to get rid of those fall pictures and insert those like the summer ones. It yep. just makes more sense to people. There, there's just little subtle things that you do to be able to not get people to think like the first thing they look at that is, oh, that was listed in the fall and now it's January. You know, you have to be able to keep photos in the season, but then if you're going to change them out, I mean, unless you have like a fall, spring, summer type array of photos, then that's not so bad. But um, if you have like a winter and then you just have fall, it just kind of, it pins it down like when that thing was listed. And if you have it in the summer, they think, well, they just got photos early because they wanted to add it, look at its best. So yeah. Well, you know, and those that uh, people that are true, true gardeners, they want to see what everything looks like in full bloom. So we, you and I have talked about this before, sending out photography crews early, even if you're thinking about a spring listing, um, just to capture that, you know, the fall. And and I'm not talking about the colors of the leaves. I'm talking about your flowers, where your, where your ferns pop up, where the, you know, maybe even in the early spring where some of that uh, tulips will be popping. But, you know, all of a sudden you've got other plants that will start growing around that or you know, it, it's just one of those things where the people that are concerned about the exterior and love gardening will want to know all that stuff. So it's good uh, investment to do it early. 
and um, and then document the year. I even a lot of times will put this was taken in the fall of 2021. Um, and then so when they're looking in the spring, they're like, ah, that was, you know, for my benefit that you did this last fall. Even if you're uh, you're like, oh, I don't really want to call a realtor. I don't know if I'm going to do it. It's, it's a good practice to take those photos and have them. I'll tell you, I've used a lot of people's photos uh, where when the flowers are absolutely at perfect bloom, you know, you usually don't catch that when you're all of a sudden it's like, oh, I found the house I love. I got to get mine listed. And we might not get the best. So if you have those, those really help. For sure. Was that you, Randy? Oh, yeah, that was me as a young salesman. Oh, Remember that? Oh, my God. Representing clients, 101, kind of what all it involves and, and kind of go off that video we just played. Well, I'll tell you what. I, I, I think, honestly, there, Chris, I'll, I'll start with this because I've dealt with this before. You know, um, I think that there's a lot of people that don't understand how real estate agents work or how they get compensated, nor do they care. And what happens is they uh, don't partner with their agents as a team. So they'll let you open up the doors. They'll let you unlock. They think you're getting paid somehow for that. And then they'll literally tell you, hey, good news. I found a house this weekend and I wrote it with another uh, another agent. And I'm really excited. You should come see it. They, they have no concept that they just completely had you invest all that time into them and then have uh, no shot at recovering uh, any kind of a, an investment from that investment. So. You know, the, I was trying to make it pretty upfront with people that, hey, listen, you know, we're working together. I'm willing to invest this time, you know, pro bono, um, hoping that someday you actually buy something. Um, don't worry about me, but as long as we're loyal to each other, uh, we'll get the job done. And when you go out wandering around on the weekends, open houses, here's a stack of my cards, um, you know, and, and here's a, I actually will print out, here's a bunch of spots I would go see, let those agents know that I sent you. And so, you know, there's procuring cause, there's, you know, the, that I'm involved. And, and then I said, the best part is when you hand out a card, um, they're not going to usually ask you to register. They'd rather have my card and call me as an agent um, and work with me directly than to deal with you. Um, well, the other, the other thing is, too, is if you're, uh, if you're out there and you are represented by an agent, they can't be talking to you. You know, they can't even, I mean, if you ask them questions, they can talk, but... They're not going to try to get your information because they can't. They already know that they're represented by someone else. But I think a lot of times what happens is that our, we're our own enemies, our worst enemies, really, in that we don't get our clients signed up and we don't explain to them how agency works. And I think it's really important to let them know from the beginning. And it's not that hard. I mean, to be able to say, okay, well, first of all, we have to do it. Agency relationships and a real estate transaction. We have to explain that at first substantive contact. And then we have an exclusive right to represent contract. And it basically spells out what we're going to do for you and what, uh, and by doing that, you're going to be working with us and um, following through and purchasing a house with us if you purchase a house. And if you don't, kind of what the consequences are uh, of that. So I think it's uh, real important from us, from an agent perspective, to be able to explain that to our clients and what it is, because some clients just don't know and people don't tell them. And it's like, you got to be kidding me. You know, I, I tell you what, Chris, I with new construction deal with this almost every day. 
And right on the front door of the model home, we put a big read this before you enter the model. And it has agency acknowledgement on the door. So what what I just real quickly, the state of Minnesota wants to protect. They think real estate agents are wolves and you guys are the little red riding hood or whatever that is, and that they're going to be taken advantage of. Okay. So they they first of all make us upfront before we talk about any substantial information about price, motivation, condition, whatever, you know, that we are allowed to say from our seller, you have to let we have to acknowledge that, hence the word acknowledgement that you've at least had the opportunity to know who the players are in the real estate transaction or who you could be affiliated with or not affiliated with, and then what each person's role is. So at a high level, most people say, hey, read this. It's on the back of our brochure. I stick it in every brochure. And then if they ask me for any information, I'll say, I tell you what, today we're, we're talking to you as, as a client. There's no representation contract with you. Um, you may have another relationship with somebody else. Uh, these are the items I've been allowed to talk about in the model home. And, and then from my seller, and I do represent the seller. And, and most people, when I say it that way, they automatically say, well, my uncle told us to come in here and, and you know talk to you guys. No problem, uncle's involved. But most people will come in nowadays and try to negotiate and say, hey, if I don't have a real estate agent, do I get a better deal? And absolutely not. What happens is you guys, the builders keep that difference. So when we don't have a payout, um, the builder keeps it. And that's in almost every situation you're in where um, the builders don't just pay it out to pay it out. They're compensating that agent for sending someone into their model home and helping be the, the you know, procuring cause of why that person built with that builder. So long story long, I tell you what, before I send out any information or email them anything, I go through a questionnaire. How did you find us? Did your real estate agent send you here? Do you have a real estate agent? Are you under contract? Um, do you wanna be represented in this transaction? And we make people sign this stuff because it, I tell you what, people get in commission disputes all the time behind the scenes and it gets ugly, you know, because those people are sitting there. They're not doing it for free. They're sitting there in an open house hoping to pick you up as a buyer, um, you know, and then you get wowed by them and their services and everything else and you hire them. That's the whole point of an open house for most agents. And there's a thing called procuring cause. And what procuring cause is, is that's the person who actually did the stuff to be able to get to get this client to move forward uh, to purchasing the home and whether or not you're uh, signed up with someone or have a contract with someone it's who procuring cause was so sometimes you'll see that in like open houses someone will come through an open house and you'll end up talking to them and they say oh we don't have an agent and whatever even if they have an agent but they might tell you hey no we don't and you start going through everything and you got them uh in which to be able to purchase that home and all of a sudden they call up again and say, hey, we want to see this one more time, you know, before we make an offer. And then they do that. And then all of a sudden an agent comes and says, well, I've, I have a, I'm going to have a representation agreement with them. That person's more likely not going to get paid if that, uh, if that listing agent fights that part. So it's a procuring cause kind of trumps our representation agreements um, when it comes to, uh, arbitrating uh, who gets that commission. And just gotta remember sometimes if you do have a buyer contract with an agent and uh, the listing agent does say, hey, I've got procuring costs and fights that, you could be liable to pay that other agent a commission on top of what's already been paid out. You know, I've, I've said this numerous times to other brokerages and I'll say, hey, listen, if you simply introduce me, my product, meaning my builder product and send them out to our model homes, as far as I'm concerned, your job's over for me. I, I don't need you even involved. I'll pay you a full commission. 
I'll take care of you. I'll take care of your clients. I do all the work. Um, and, and that's the, the, um, underlying secret for me is that I want you focusing on bringing me more buyers. I don't, I don't want you at the selection meeting. I don't really, honestly, you'd probably slow things down. And so I'd rather have you worried about bringing us more buyers to help us do more transactions. And that's what I pay my commissions for is procuring cause. So did you, are you the reason why that person is introduced to me? Are you the reason why you said, you know, the positive feedback you did that helped them make a decision to buy with us and then, and going forward. So, you know, you're starting to see where some of these national builders, the Wall Street builders that are out there, you know, the big boys, the Lenars, the Paltis, the whatevers, they keep cutting their commissions down, guys, because they don't think they need to pay you anything as a real estate agent because they think those buyers are going to come to you directly anyway. So you're seeing constant pressure put down on those commissions of real estate agents bringing buyers in. So like right now, Lenars only paying out 2% and our normal commission is 2.7. I've also seen them where they pay out 4.5%. So it really depends on do they think they need the real estate agent involved or not. And, and that will dictate how much they want to pay. So, you know, it, it's one of those things where they, I'm sure they'd assume, hey, you know, we put out a product. We have an employee in the model. It's not even a, a licensed real estate agent per se, even though they have to be, but they're not acting as one. They're just like, hey, I work for the builder. Here's all of our products. Would you like to buy one of our products versus providing service? We provide service, Chris, as real estate agents. So there's a whole different, you know, um, scheme to how that's being done. And some people look at it that as that, and then some people look at agents as just they're getting paid to do nothing, you know. And well, I think, sure. yeah, and I think uh, you usually get what you pay for. Um, if you do think you're, you know, paying an agent for nothing, you should probably look at maybe who that agent is if they're not helping you uh, <laughs> in that way. So I think it it really matters who uh, your your agent is and and what they're doing for you. It's right. more than just you know, getting in the car and showing you houses. Well, and I was going to say, so kind of, let me, I'll circle back one more time. There, there are, you know, I probably do, you know, 40 transactions or more a year with agents on the other side of the table and the agent on the other side of the table, you know, what I look at the good agents are consulting their clients through the build process or through the buying process. So even if you have a situation where you get some bad information or you get bad news from a builder uh, closing dates delayed or, you know, there's a material shortage or whatever it is. And that agent is helping you um, walk through that decision. Because the, the, a lot of agents think their job is to fight the builder, like the stand up for my buyers. I'm going to fight, fight, fight. And then that's why builders don't want to pay real estate agents. It's more of a explain to your client what's happening to the builder, explain what the pros and the cons are, get the customer to be not necessarily comfortable with it, but to make a decision on which direction they want to go. You know, do you want to proceed with this? Are you okay with the extended closing? And if you're not, please explain back to us without all the drama, what, what we can do to help you get to where you want to be. So for example, with an extended closing, maybe somebody's concerned about they have a lock that expires. Most builders that have to push out a closing have no problem, you know, paying for an extension on a lock, you know, or whatever. But most builders are also smart enough nowadays to tell you, here's the window. It's about a three month window where the plane's going to land. You know, they're not saying, hey, it's going to be July 7th at 2.30, no matter what. They're saying end of June, first part of August, somewhere in there, depending on weather, materials, we're going to land in there. It's a 10-month to a 12-month build process. We're seeing that across the Twin Cities. I am I see very few guys now. Most, Actually, most builders, I'll take that back. Most builders would rather have you buy one of their spec homes, and they can take their time, pick the selections, have no drama, and you know what I mean? So, No, it's very true. 
Very true. So yeah, representation, I just don't think people should take it um, like it's a no big deal who you're working with. I think it's really important. And when when the this might be the first time I'm going to swear on, I'm not used to it. But when the shit starts going, you know, who do you have behind you? Just saying. Yeah. And look at now, look at this. I get it. I'm, I'm getting hit by the sun now that I swore. The Lord is approving of your statement, sir. <laughs> it's shine upon me. He's shining. He's <laughs> shining down on you from the real estate Lord above. <laughs> no. Hi, Tandy. We found this question um, online about USDA and FHA construction loans. It doesn't seem like many people ever do them. What's the, the story behind it? How do you get one? Um, well, a true construction loan is, is when the home is being constructed. So um, I am not aware of, um, and that may be my own naiveness, because I don't work in a lot of areas that are covered by USDA. Um, USDA is, you know, for rural development, um, or, you know, think of the suburbs that actually have one to two acre lots. Um, you can't have a pole barn, but you can have a house on acreage. Um, and then they can do zero money down programs to entice people to move to the country. Um, FHA is, uh, the federally insured program that allows people to buy homes. This is actually, if you think about it, it's, it's a government insurance policy um, the FHA is what it's all about because banks want to see you put 20% down way, way back. They decided, Hey, let's come up with an organization that ensures the 20% down. We'll let homeowners put only three and a half percent down and get into a property, be a homeowner. Hence the American dream. That's why the government was involved in it. And, and so we had a lot of home buyers that bought FHA first time, you know, buyers, they'd put three and a half percent down. Um, the mortgage insurance or the FHA insurance on it would cover if they defaulted. But what's, what's great is this, a lot of the, the, the wealth in America that's built off of real estate is first-time homebuyers buying that three-bedroom, two-bath, two-car garage house. They live there for five or 10 years. They pull up, you know, 75, 300,000, whatever the number is, out of their equity because the house is appreciated. And then they move on to the next house. And that opportunity would never have been there if FHA didn't exist. So a lot of the other countries around the world that don't have products like that, that's why you see the rich and the poor in other countries, guys. You know, only rich people own houses and the poor people rent. And that's, I'm talking about like Europe, where you are uh, right now, you know, Nick. And it's it happens a lot where people are sixth and fifth generation renters. They rent the same apartment that their great, great, great grandpa rented. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I'm doing, uh, I've got a client that's doing a USDA loan. And I, the other thing I think is important about that, that they don't have to have any money down. Uh, on that product. And, and what they're trying to do is they're trying to, you know, like to, Andy said, it's kind of the outer uh, suburbs. So an example of where you could get them, it's really not that far out. So like uh, a Bell Plain or uh, where we're doing it is in Green Isle, you know, and what's happening with new construction is that, I mean, like, I don't know if you saw my expression when Andy said he's got a home for $399 because I was just kind of stunned because you just don't see that uh, much at all, getting something under 400000 um, especially in the metro area. And that's what happened. I mean, this person's like, hey, I can't get anything around here. We're just going to keep moving out. Well, by doing that, not only were they able to get a brand new construction um, slab on grade, uh, Rambler, really nice three-car garage in that $260,000 $260, range, 
but they're also able to be able to utilize the USDA loans. Now, you need a builder that's going to finance it the whole way through, uh, because I think, uh, like Andy said, I don't think USDA has a per se construction loan. They have, um, they can finance new construction though, and that's uh, what this person is is doing. So typically, um, the banks are doing those construction loans, and basically what that is is that you're you're financing the cost of the construction until you get to closing. And then you put that end financing piece on the top to pay everything off because otherwise the builders paying for that the whole way through. And when the builder pays the whole way through, well, they have to get paid for that. So then they kind of stack on more costs on top of that to be able to finance these places. Well, they, every, almost every builder that you walk in and they have a landed price and they say, yep, we'll build you that house for 500,000. And they don't have a line item that's the, the ginger plan on lot six with, you know, this lighting package and plumbing package. That's all built into the, the base price of that house. Custom builders, and I don't know what you, you guys do, Chris, but a lot of the custom guys like my builder does, they'll break that apart so that you can see that that construction loan actually is a real number. It's, it, you know, ends up, you know, between I've seen them as low as one and a half percent, as high as two and a half percent of the cost of the the build is for builder finance and then most consumers say well 17 18 20 000 i'll pay that out of my pocket i'll pay it in cash and so then they get the construction loan instead of the builder the builder gives them that discount right off the top and then usually i would say i don't know what your thoughts are chris but usually a consumer can get it done for about half the price the builders can or close to that I think the builders don't want to do it. Um, and so they're going to charge a little more to be able to cover themselves as, as they should. Um, if they have to do the work, they're not just gonna just pass on direct costs, they have to make money on that money. Otherwise they're not gonna be in business and they're not gonna be you know, there 10 years down the line when you have a problem. So builders builders have to make money. They make money on everything they touch. What's that? So if they touch, they touch a construction loan, they're making money on it. Don't kid yourselves. The, the, uh, you know, I had a, I, I've got a customer right now I'm working with where he does a lot of his own um, work. He's an he's a actual contractor. And what's exciting for him is he sees all these costs. And then, you know, the, it drives him crazy. And I said, well, you know, the, the thing is, is that, you know, a shower that you maybe could do for 3000 that the builder charges you 4500 or 5000 for. Um, I said, of course, there's profit margin on there. There's, you know, everything else. That's how they can warranty it and take care of it. And and, uh, and, it, it, and, you know, and I said, for a matter of fact, those light bulbs that are above your head right now, you're probably paying 10 bucks a piece for them if you do the math on it instead of seven. But I said, don't let that bug you. And I said, then if you get a 30-year loan, you're still going to be paying for that bad bulb for 30 years, even after it's burnt out. And, and you know, you got to put it in perspective. You got to look at what am I getting? What am I paying? And what enjoyment do I get out of it? How long am I going to live here? And then adjust everything accordingly to what's best for you and your family. Gosh, I'll tell you what, Andy, I'm kind of like little Pavlov's dog here. Nick has scared me so much into that every time I have to mute myself, then sometimes I forget. So I keep muting myself and then I don't take it off. It says I'm, I click my pen too much. I do all these things that <laughs> you hide. You hide on the side of the camera like you're almost not even in view. It's for the sun. Look at that. You don't want me in there. I'm you, trying you to know, Chris, I think you're great just the way you are. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. I like your pen clicks. Uh, I like your shining face. Can can you hear him when I do that? 
Yes, you can. Okay, so he's right, dig it. <laughs> well, it's a marker, so it, it doesn't count. You can't hear markers. Hey, we uh, kind of brought it up during the client representation, but uh, our term of the day is arbitration. Arbitration is something that uh, everyone in the transaction has the ability to uh, opt in or opt out of, uh, and it's a way in which to solve disputes. So, you know, I, I would say, Andy, if, if I had to guess, I would say... I thought, you were gonna say Andy, since you, I thought you were going to say, since you've got the most uh, experience with arbitration. <laughs> well, that's coming. That's coming. But I would say that people that actually opt into arbitration, uh, of all the purchase agreements we do, I would say 80%. Because the thing is, is that everyone in the transaction needs to agree to arbitration to be able to arbitrate. So that's the two agents, which obviously includes their brokerage, and then the buyer and the seller. And so I, what, what do you have? I'd say 80% of my transactions opt in for arbitration. If there's a problem, that's how we'll use, we'll use arbitration to solve it. Well, you know, what's interesting is by signing an arbitration agreement, um, you still, um, so like when you have attorneys involved, attorneys say, why are we going to decide how we're going to disagree in the future? Why don't we let that happen if it ever happens and we can resolve ourselves. But of course they're attorneys, so they don't have to pay all their fees. So what I always find interesting is that like most, I would say at least 80% of the people sign an arbitration agreement, which in, in a nutshell says that you're going to go to small claims court first and up to $15,000. If the dispute is over $15,000 or over uh, under 24 months old, then you would go to an arbitrator to decide, you know, the outcome of that to, in an effort to save money and not clog up the court system. Um, but they want you to go to small claims court. In the in the very beginning, which is interesting, and it's like, what would you go to small claims court for? You know, unless there was fraud. So, yeah, yeah, and I think you know, and and when you go to court, when you end up going to court, they push you over to try to mediate it anyways. You know, and that's really kind of what a uh, arbitrator is. Now, when you look at the arbitration, the it's typically a, a usually a less expensive way in which to go. Um, but Andy is right on and when he says those attorneys say that because the thing is, is that if there's a problem, later on we can all agree to go to arbitration again if we want to. It just leaves it open for that other person to say, no, forget it. If you're going to come after me, then you're going to have to take me to court. And court sometimes makes people nervous to be able to do it. And arbitration is basically, you know what, it's going to cost me five to $800 to be able to do it. I'm just going to roll the dice and see if they'll uh, pay for it. So some people use it as a, as a threat, uh, just to be able to say, hey, maybe the, maybe they'll pay me if I if I file for arbitration. Well, the, and you know, you always hear, you know, the big shot. Well, you'll be hearing from my attorney, and then they call their attorney, and the attorney says, well, we'll probably need an upfront retainer of you know thirty to fifty thousand dollars because just getting ready for trial or court, um, it's gonna be about a thirty thousand dollars worth of background time and uh, back and forth letters and. And all of a sudden people go, it's going to cost me 30 grand to sue them for 30 grand. And you know what I mean? And it's, and then they just decide not to do it anyway. So if you're actually a wise um, business person, you're going to investigate that ahead of time before you say I'm going to sue you. And you actually look at it and say, okay, if we both agree to arbitrate, that's probably going to be a lower cost version um, for both. Of, and you can have an attorney at our arbitration committee. You know, you can bring your attorney, you can have legal counsel there. Um, it just, they don't have to prepare as many legal documents. Um, it doesn't have to spend as much money preparing for that, 
you know, trial. And I'll tell you what, every time um, my client has not had an attorney in arbitration, I've been involved in five of them, five now, um, two of them, three of them had attorneys, they all won, three won, two lost because they didn't have an attorney and their cases were like, no problem. They were going to get them for sure. I mean, it was obvious they had it and I don't know how they lost, but they didn't have an attorney. The other side did. So well, I, you know, I think it is arbitration doesn't really time. save you money in, in the end is what I'm saying. Right. Typically well, and we get emotionally charged. You know what I mean? I think that's the hardest thing for most. When you decide to fight, think about this. You're, you're just legally fighting and you're fighting with someone. Your emotions usually take over for your intellect. And so then you start saying, like, well, then you didn't do this either. And, you know, it almost like kicks in where emotions kick in. And versus an attorney will say, uh, strike that from the record. That's irrelevant. It doesn't have anything to do with the case. Um, you know, and, and it's interesting how an attorney attacks um, the the cross-examination or the questioning coming from the other side of the, the situation and how they handle it and, and keep everybody in line. It's almost like they're a, they're a herder, you know, and they herd everybody together to keep focused on task at hand, which is to just argue about whatever the, the thing is. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because a lot of people do arbitration because they think they're going to save money to be able to go after someone. And that's not really the case. And they got to remember the other thing with arbitration. And I think so, why some people like it, not getting into the court systems where you can kind of fight it and push it and do all these different things, is that arbitration is binding. And so it's not like, hey, that arbitrator made this decision. You know, let's just let's let's talk about it. And arbitration is binding. You're agreeing that when you go into it, that it is binding. So is, there's a lot of things to think about. And I think uh, Andy's right. Every people ask me, so what would you do? And I said, I can't tell you because I can't give legal legal advice. But um, that I always say that if there is a problem, this is how we're going to solve it. So do you want to go to arbitration? If you all agree to it now, that's what we'll do. If you don't agree to it now, you can always try to agree to it later. Otherwise, we have to solve it through the through the court system. And then you got to make your own decision because that's not our decision in which to make. Our brokerage um, has decided that we do go to arbitration. Our insurance uh, covers that to ask us to go to arbitration at the beginning. So Beautiful. Let's get into everyone's favorite uh, segment. We get a lot of comments about this, the social media react. I got three videos here. Just want to hear your guys' thoughts on them, the message, how they did it. Let's just talk. Nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to know. They're going to know. How would they know? Did you, yeah. see, did you see the subtleness of that, though? Play that again and look at how they spell nobodies. It's nobodies. Nobody's gonna know. Nobody's gonna know. They're gonna know. How would they know? No, but no, are, those, are those tables? Yeah, so it's like Walmart tables. So it looks like a little bed, but they're tables that they staged it with. That's pretty dang good, actually, you know, in which to be able to do that. Now you have to have signs all over that says, do not lay on the bed because some kids jump and jump on the beds, but uh, that is kind of uh, creative. And that's- we, I, I have to tell a story because this is the funniest thing ever. So we used to have signs that say, don't jump on the bed in, in some of the model homes and they're staged. And what they would do is the builders would make them, um, they'd take a sheet of plywood and do the two by fours up and over and down again. And uh, uh, we'd have these signs, you know, hey, or hold your kid's hand through the models. 
Austin, you hear the kid running down the hall upstairs, boom, 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 and then you hear, boom. They jump on these beds. Crash. And they're, yeah, they're made out of plywood. That that must have been you or one of your kids. I can see uh, you doing that totally. I was sworn to secrecy. <laughs> Hey, so what do you think about that staging technique, though? Do you guys ever get sneaky with the, the staging or what? Like making a bed? Well, it I wasn't a bed. It was two tables. It was two oh, tables. See, I wasn't even paying attention enough to care. I, I, I got to Andy, My attention span is this big. Watch it close. Why? Nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to know. They're going to know. How would they know? Oh, the nobody. Ah. You see? <laughs> it took me a second. Sorry. Yes. Thank you. Uh, I think, five times. I think they were playing off us a little there too. I think so. I think we're talking about how we're reacting to the social media, and that's a playoff of staging. But I also think they did another piece of it to kind of get you to remember it. So nobody's gonna know. First of all, it says no bodies is no, but nobody's gonna know, and that's like for me, that's what I kept saying, but. Again, it makes you remember it. So, just I, I um, it was a little too much for me. I uh, I got lost on the first one, and they showed That's the point. Do you keep rewatching it? Like, what what is this? I don't, I don't. And you look at the comments, yeah. and then you go back, and you're like, oh, now I see it. It's like a joke that you have to like think about. And then you finally get it. You know what I mean? Well, you know, and I of course now I start thinking about it from a, a real estate agent perspective. What if you don't have an extra bed, but you want to stage a room as a bedroom? Um, that's one way to do it. And, and like they said, nobody will know, nobody will care. We used to do it that way in all of our model homes with plywood, for God's sake. So think about that too. Your bed just folds up and you get multi-purpose. You can use those tables again for something else. I think that's a really good idea. Okay. Is that pretty wicked? That totally. Uh, can, you, can you explain to me? Is that a hole in the floor of their? Yeah, look. So I think it's like one of those homes, like in Florida, where they're built on stilts. Okay. And they did that little design underneath, like that. I don't think nice. so. I think that was totally put in there. If you look around the side of the pool, there looks like there was a rug on that, and then they just put that pool in there uh, as an illusion. Try it again. See, look at the rug around the pool. You see how it's not like it's, it was like it was the pool was put in there. But so it's like a fantasy. I would love to list that house if that was true. Well, let's watch it one more time and look out the windows at the same time you're looking through the pool. Okay. See, they're they're kind of bleeded out there a little bit. You can't really tell what's out the windows, but maybe it is on the ocean. Who knows? Uh, yeah. Any uh, any cool things in homes you've seen like that? I know we've talked about your your car collection. You found you saw Andy, but I'm on. I mean, that's pretty neat. Anything like that? I, I wish. <laughs> Well, you know, we've had a couple of models where I've seen the, the like in the master bedrooms, they'll do like the two-sided fireplaces that are kind of cool. So, you know, you've got the big like soaker tub on one side and then 
you can see the fireplace from both sides. That's kind of cool, you know, but when it comes to like hidden rooms, I've had people do hidden rooms before that's becoming, um, or was really popular, went away. It's kind of coming back again. I think there is a, a, a project I saw that was being built on the, on the water. I mean, obviously that was a pool, but I think there's a project that you actually, um, could see the water underneath, like it was a glass bottom type thing. Um, but I think that would be amazing. I can't, I can't even imagine what the cost would be, but really that's a, that's a, if that was real, it's just, it's a pool, like in a basement and you're looking down over. So, you know, Chris, when we, when you and I were, um, remember we won those trips to Belize through Remax and we had, uh, um, we were going to go down there and the whole thing got canceled. And anyway, they had a series of homes that were down there that mimic that Fiji resort kind of community where they have the big dock going out and there's all the, I mean, these houses even had pools on the decks and in Belize. And they were like starting at 500,000 over the water, which was very similar looking to like this was where it's icy, you know, kind of like an icy green looking pretty white sand. That'd be so cool to be able to develop something like that. Oh yeah. Our DNR, God bless them, would never allow that to happen here. No. Like, I was just you thinking know, that. You know, if you had something like that out over one of our lakes and, and no way. Nope. Nope. Canada, they might let you. They do a lot of weird stuff in Canada. They let you build your saunas and your boathouses right on the water's edge, which I think is so cool. You know, they'll but you could literally right now go up to uh my buddy has a place up at Bear Pass just north of uh, Fort Francis. And they built basically they called it a sauna house and, uh, down by the, the water. And it's a cabin, literally right on the water's edge. The deck hangs out over the water. And their DNR is like, oh, this is great. Thanks, guys. It looks looks like you have a lot of fun here. And then you, you take the sauna, as they call it. Then you go run out the dock into the 55-degree water. Cool. Nuts. I think you'd almost have to create your own lake to be able to do it. So if you're on a huge piece of land oh. that you want it to be a development, and then you just create your own. So like on the uh, sand pits that are happening. Rooneyville. There you go. It's part of Rooneyville. I'd have a moat. Rental properties. I'd have a moat with a drawbridge. Keep all you you peasants out on where you belong, Andy. Walking on a dream. Hopping lights Okay, I think uh, Nick's comment on this was exactly right. So I would, I probably would watch that video at least ten more times to try to get all the details in. It kind of hits. You know, I got super cool. I got I got hung up on. I thought it was a granite countertop commercial, um, or a Cambria style commercial where they're showing like on the islands they would do the waterfall edge where it goes all the way down to the ground, and then they had islands coming off of that. And I'm going, there, there's no way that a consumer um, would do that once they get the bid, but a builder would do it with the help of like somebody like Cambria as a feature to do it. You know what I mean? Cause it, it gets. It's very expensive. Play that, play that one more. Play it one more time. Now. Walking on a dream. Wonderful. 
think that also shows like so if an agent is posting that and follow for more content it's i would i would believe that agent is more into the luxury type home styles um yes. and they're kind of without saying it a word they're saying a lot of words well the thing about dream islands i mean that's where everybody hangs out and i mean if you in a kitchen have the space to have a, a setting for 16 people like that one table did I'm like my god that that's yeah, you're talking a 10,000 square foot house. Yeah. All right, we got some questions here. First from uh, Mrs. Prasky. But he will indulge at our Prado Homes Wine and Cheese. Before that. Uh, there's up in Alexandria, the Carlos Creek Winery has a big festivus this weekend called, uh, was it Grape Stomp? Grape Stomp? Well. And, uh, and then, yeah, there it is. And so that's an Alex. That's about a mile and a half from uh, our place up there, and it's a blast. So if you got nothing going on and you like wine and you want to be a kid, go up there and uh, have a good time. That That's a fun festival. Um, I'm actually going to be doing my own wine fest in Centerville, and one of my models, um, wine and cheese on whatever day she said it was. Do those events get a lot more, Andy, a lot more people? You know, surprisingly enough, you know, I was asking last weekend because our our team goes through quite an effort to get the wine and the different varieties of cheeses and, you know, whatever. And that um, being COVID safe now, they went to micro bottles. So it's it's you're limited to what you can get on like an airplane, but they still have all these bottles lined up. Before they used to have, they bring out um, cases of wine and then they, they'd let you sample. I mean, some of them were really expensive. And that was more fun. And I had, you know, wine connoisseurs coming out, but then they'd come out and they're like, oh, so you guys are focused on wine. So then if the model home didn't have a wine rack or a wine fridge or a wine station, it kind of didn't make sense. So then it was more of just a, we're just offering hors d'oeuvres to get more people out to the house. So that that's what it's evolved into. But when it was back before uh, all this uh, COVID crap hit us, um, we used to have a blast with those. I mean, they, you know, the, Open the arm and pour a glass. And I think you just made a really nice point there that at some point, uh, if you just do these wine and cheese things, at some point it could hurt you. Because if you show that, you know, I, we really don't have anywhere to serve wine and cheese, you know, that <laughs> thinks, well, what's the functionality of the house and we can't entertain it. But if you do have that, now it's it's become a lifestyle. And when you do a lifestyle, I think that is just much more impactful then, um, you know, it's 3,000 square feet, four bedroom, three bath kind of junk. But the other thing is, I, I'm just wondering, on your little, um, your wine things, does does COVID like sneak into open wine bottles or what? How does that happen? Um, I think so. Uh, it, was, it was more I of know. I was wondering, so. I think it was more an, of a uh, opening the bottles and then when we drink right out of the bottles and we put the caps back on, put them back, that was where the problem oh, was. Oh, so you're all just slugging out of the bottle. That's what it is. Yeah. 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 No, the, the, uh, we'd have glasses. We know we'd have the glasses there, and I think it was a function of what are you touching? How much stuff are you touching versus not touching? And then, you know, instead of having, like, 30 different kinds of cheeses and stuff that are, you know, uh, right from, you know, your favorite grocery store, and they're cutting slices of cheese, they just got to where there was too much touching. So unless somebody's literally sitting there as a server – um, so they just decided to buy individually packaged everything. Hey, Nick, why don't you show some photos of you with your uh, your COVID-safe wine bottles that you do? 
He's weird. But all of a sudden, he has always got like a bottle of wine. I mean, I said, don't you use like a glass? I mean, don't they use that over there? I thought that was like the wine Italy. I mean, for gosh sakes, that's the wine. Not the classy guys, Chris. I can see him. Okay. The Americano just storming around. Oh, okay. Okay. Are you okay. sharing that? Are you sharing it with people? Just pouring them glasses? Of course. Okay. Of course. Okay. My girlfriends. Okay. When staging a home, does the seller buy the new items or are they bought or, they, or do they rent them? There's some staging companies that have inventory. Um, a lot of staging companies have like uh, the the extra things like the pillows and, you know, little blankets and little vases of stuff. But <laughs> there's not a lot of people that can afford that kind of inventory. So, um, you know, do you, do you use ambiance at home? Ambiance out of Carrie Ingalls. Do you know her? They're no, a huge staging company. And they provide a lot of the models uh, with stuff, but these guys got a massive um, place that they uh, have all the furniture and everything. It's crazy what they have. Well, I'll tell you, let me, so we, staging our models, we, you know, we'll spend anywhere from 5000 to $7,500, depending on how the price point of the home is to stage them. And we had one uh, individual lady that was, uh, hit us a couple years back. And she goes, oh, I can do model homes for under 3000 And we're like, done, you know, because it was just really, I mean, that saves us thousands of dollars per year. And so we go out there and all of a sudden I get into the first model and it's okay. Furniture's older and, you know, the rug's everywhere and I just didn't like the, the look. But here's what was funny. All of a sudden I go, I could smell. And here this woman was keeping this stuff in a, in a warehouse or a barn and to keep under control mice and things they had cats these cats are peeing all over these rugs and i'm not kidding you i i was open up for the parade and it smelled like cat pee in the house and so i'm like all right so we now it's not even funny chris this was a serious situation kind of funny <laughs> well, I, it was very funny it's like because then everybody looks at me and i go it's not me i bathed today i don't smell like cat pee um but so we pull all these rugs out of this place and i i call the lady and then she goes you didn't have to tell everybody on the conference call that I'm the cat pee lady. And now everybody's going to label me as a cat pee lady. And, oh, my God, I she was ready to rip my head off. And I'm like, hey, you delivered stuff that smells like cat urine. And it get it out. So what one-time use there. And then now we got a deal where um, the stagers, um, I believe, have a, a relationship with Ashley Furniture where we'll do um, – they bring brand-new furniture in. And then you can purchase that furniture because it is brand-new. And you can buy it at wholesale. So it's kind of a cool deal. So if you see some of our models, you're like, wow, I'll buy all the furniture in the living room. They're like, okay, that's $1,850 or whatever it is, you know. And there's a lot that's of stages cool. that there's a lot of stages that won't sell their furniture. They have to use it a certain amount of times to get the payback. I mean, there's a plan in, in place um, for that. So that that's a nice option right there. Yeah. Well, I think these people want to figure it out because they I don't know how they make money anyway with moving furniture in and out of houses and they're only charging you, you know, five or $6,000. It seems like a lot of money, but when you think about what they're doing for the money that they're getting, it's, it's not, it's actually an unbelievable deal. Well, we had, um, we had one where we had the furniture in there and um, it would bet it was a model. It had been a model for a year and the uh, someone came in and made an offer and they wanted all the furniture that went with it they just loved everything about it and wanted it perfect well that furniture after we added it all up and all the accessories and stuff was sixty two thousand dollars sixty two thousand dollars that we would have had to pay 
And uh, I mean, it's just like you can't. I mean, it's, it's not a buddy of ours just uh, bought a place in Tampa, um, or actually between St. Pete and uh, Clearwater um, condo right on the ocean. Gorgeous three bedroom monster of a place. Super, you'd love it, Chris. Has elevator right up to the room. Um, really cool place. And they bought it. And, and the guy goes at the very end, he goes, you know, I'm just going to leave it furnished. If you guys want it, you can have it. And this was all that stickney, like really expensive furniture, artwork. Every, the guy basically pulled his keys out of the out of the fruit bowl and said, here, it's yours and, and left everything. And uh, and I asked and I said, well, you know, um, my, my buddy, he lives over in Wisconsin. And, and I go, well, why did he decide to do that? And he said, well, you know, it's kind of funny because his his wife. Um, said that he uh, said that his wife wasn't getting along with his girlfriend who decorated the condo, and so uh, they decided to sell it. How well, it, it's supposed to laugh. The, the guy's wife didn't get along with his girlfriend. The girlfriend designed the condo. <laughs> but that usually has a problem. Yeah, that's usually yeah, a problem. You gotta laugh at my old man jokes. Come on, brother. <laughs> exactly. It, did any listeners to come up to you guys in the the parade? No. I, I met one last night at, at the event I was telling you about, but uh, no. Hmm. Yeah, we should, funny we should throw something out there that you'll give them um, a special present if, if you they yeah. listen and they tell you the parade. Well, I'll tell a you what. I, uh, I've had people come up to us that when, when they see like a business card, an old business card of mine, they'll have her old as featured on CCO on there. And they'll go, oh, my God, you're that guy? How about want one of these? Yes. Okay, bring the mug. That's the present. I'm experts. You right listen there. to the show, you can get a free you mug. You mentioned the show. I'll give you a mug. I got mugs. But do you have this? Do you have your own wine? Here's I the do grape not own my own vineyard there, Snooty McSnooterson. This is my grape stomp. I don't even I don't even have to go to Alex to do it. Well, you, you can probably crush a lot of grapes with those monster feet. <laughs> Don't forget! Don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. We stream on Spotify, basically every podcast platform. We post three clips a week on Facebook, and the video version will always be on our Facebook. Join us every Thursday at eight a.m. Have a great rest of the parade, you guys! Thanks, brother.